The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Lawrence Furman, is the author of a fascinating book, Memoir of a Slightly Mad Mystic, How Dying Saved My Life. It's the autobiography that begins with a boy who began having out-of-body journeys when he was nine years old, but the freedom and joy those uh, flights provided came into stark contrast when he began sinking into serious mental illness. And after being treated with drugs, electroshock, and enforced isolation, hallmarks of the 1960s mental health care system, his condition only worsened. A cure seemed out of the question until he died three times. Memoir of a Slightly Mad Mystic is the story of how he survived death and how his three transformative journeys restored his sanity and his soul. Lawrence, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Oh, it's good good to hear your voice, Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence, let's begin with those childhood OBEs you wrote about. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing, actually. I, I was as surprised as I could be, but it would be like on a Saturday morning when I didn't have school, when I was about eight, nine years old, right around in there. I used to dive under the covers on Saturday mornings, and there would be this beautiful lights that would start to form. I could see them at first. They seemed to be in my mind, but then they became everywhere. And I watched the lights begin to transform and morph into different shapes. And pretty soon, as they encompassed my whole awareness, I found myself being drawn into a dark hole in the center of one of those beautiful blue circles that almost like a donut that I would see in my mind. And all of a sudden, without knowing what I was doing or how to do what I did, I just kind of slipped out of my body like an old bar of soap and just squeezed right out into the universe. And suddenly I was flying. And the the experience was just exhilarating. And I would look back and I could see the earth and I could see the moon and I could see other stars as I whizzed around. And then after a while, I would come flying back into my bed and find myself in my body under the covers again, and I just couldn't wait until the next time that they would come. Hmm. It was an amazing experience. I don't know why it happened. I don't know where it came from. There's just no explanation. But there it was, nonetheless. It was it's an, an out-of-body out experience that's almost as complete as a near-death experience. Very interesting. Well, I never told anyone about it because I was just a kid, and I knew that I didn't know how to tell anybody, and I didn't think anyone would believe me. But for me, it was completely real, and it was it was just, it was my being. I felt it, as if it was just my being out flying, and it was just wonderful. Mm. But then things changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell a us. While, but, hmm? I was going to say, well, tell it. Tell us uh, because it was a it was a dramatic change for sure. Yeah, yeah. They lasted. They lasted maybe a little, you know, maybe eight, nine months or something like that. And then all of a sudden, um, my mind began to let go, and I began to sink into this 
what the doctors called mental illness, but I developed a tremendous amount of symptoms. My family began to fall apart. It was almost as though the lights that I saw were giving me a base to remember as everything I knew started to disintegrate and go away. My family went away, um, and my own mind went away. And when that happened, I had terrible symptoms that were just eating me alive. And I, I couldn't tell anyone about those either. I was doing my best to try and hide them because my parents were, they were getting divorced, and I just didn't want to add to their suffering. And yes. so I just kind of bore it as best I could. But I had no sleep at night. I was turning in circles during the day trying to get the world on the left side of my head, which is very difficult to explain, but it was weird. <laughs> And a lot of OCD, a lot of uh, hallucinations, images, things that would that were terrible and ugly thoughts and all sorts of things. Until finally, I just couldn't handle it anymore, and I lost the sense of um, I couldn't tell anymore if I was awake or I was asleep, and it was all a big dream. Until finally, I just came home one day and hid myself under the sink in the bathroom and sliced my wrists and just sat there watching the blood dripping down on the floor. And I figured that would be the end of it. And it was actually kind of nice because I was starting to go to sleep, and it felt like the first rest that I'd had in so, so, so long. But then, but then out that, yeah, as a, re- as a result out. of that, you wound up in a psychiatric <laughs> hospital. Yeah. It was like there wasn't, in those days, this was back, you know, in, in Columbus, Ohio, <clears throat> back in the late 50s or, or so, and there wasn't much choice you had in those days. So I ended up in the state asylum, the state um, asylum for the for the insane. And uh, But it was an interesting and fascinating place. I kind of enjoyed it there at first because mm-hmm. it was old. It was like Dracula's castle. And there were all sorts of strange and weird characters in there that I got to know. And so it was a bit of an education in and of itself. But finally, my mom um, ended up, you know, she didn't like it, and it smelled like a kennel. And eventually she got me into a new place. And the new place I went to supposedly was cleaner and nicer, but actually it was worse. And that's when they began the treatments. And the treatments only uh, increased everything. I mean, I was heading on a really a downhill path. Shock treatments and drugs and isolation in the hospital didn't do me any good at all. And the Lawrence, other part of it... Lawrence, tell us uh, yeah. uh, a little about uh, your, your episode with the farmer. It's a fascinating yeah. chapter in your book. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first experience of being in the room with somebody who had who was getting a treatment, but I was sharing a room with a, a farmer from southern Ohio. He was probably nearly 300 pounds, huge man. Mm. And the problem was he didn't speak. <laughs> he, was, he had been given so many treatments that he pretty much spent his time staring at the wall and drooling, and that was about it. But I was um, um, bedded next to him. Our beds were next to each other, and in the mornings they would come in and change your bed around to prepare you for the shock treatments, and the shock team would come in riding on these carts, and they uh, one morning came in, hoisted the farmer up, 
and got him into bed. They threw him right over the back of the bed and so and turned him around so his head was at the rear, and they began to hook him up with all the wiring. And I'm watching all this in fascination. But all of a sudden, a nurse comes by and pulls the sheet around. You know, they have those curtains that go around your bed, and she pulls it on yes. my bed. And no one talks to you in those places. No one gives you an explanation of what they're doing. They just do what they do. And I'm listening as all of a sudden I'm hearing everybody um, preparing him. And pretty soon, I'm hearing the sound of the machine, the buzzing, the whir, the sound of electrical uh, something just, you know, burning in the room. Mm. And all of a sudden... I realized something was wrong, and I heard the bed jumping up and down on the floor, and people started yelling and screaming, and everyone was upset, and I didn't realize it, that the farmer had broken out of the strap. The strap had come loose that was holding him to the bed, and he was in a convulsive fit, and all of a sudden, he came flying through the curtain and on top of me. And when he came down on top of me, it was, it was like all his poundage, pushed down on my body and I couldn't move. I didn't realize that at the time, but they 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 didn't they didn't lower the the bars on my you know your your bed has little bars on the side. They didn't lower them and get him off of me because he was having convulsions and and they wanted him to stay safe. They didn't want him to break a bone or something by jumping around on the floor so they left him on top of me. But as he was convulsing and going up and down and pounding on top of me, he bit his tongue, fluids were coming out of him, and I was—I began to try to get a breath because I couldn't breathe beneath him. And when I finally did catch a breath, I caught his fluids instead, and they all went down the wrong pipe. And I started choking to death. And I remember so clearly inside myself thinking, God, no, I cannot die. This cannot, I'm not going to die. That only happens to people I read about in the newspapers. I was only 14 years old, and I was choking to death, and I couldn't get a breath, and I was going longer and longer without air, longer than I'd ever been before. And they're doing whatever they're doing in the room, but this guy's still on top of me, pounding up and down and shaking like a dog. And I'm choking and choking, and I can't get my arms up from underneath to try and even push on him. So finally... The air just, I, I, I felt this ray of heat running through my being. And I began to realize I was so angry. I was so angry about not wanting to die until finally I realized they're not coming. The doctors, I was saying, where are they? And then they weren't coming and I was going to die. And as soon as I realized that I was actually going to die, a warm, feeling like bath water washed over me, and a calm engulfed my being. And I didn't really see anyone that time, but it was as though someone had come to me and escorted me, because I found myself rising out of my body, and I became like um, a witness to what was going on. I was watching from somewhere else, and I could see the electrical current of my own body jagging back and forth as I was like my cells were just still trying to breathe. My body wasn't completely dead yet, but I was already out of it until finally it did die. And I found myself in a space like a, like a glowing cloud in a different dimension of awareness in which I was still aware of myself. But then 
all of a sudden, even that cloud evaporated. And suddenly, in an instant, I forgot everything that just happened. I was in a place of absolute connection to all that is. I was everywhere and nowhere. Pure awareness. It was as though I'd been given the keys to the kingdom because I hadn't, I hadn't, um, met anyone or even seen the light other than this glowing cloud that I had become. I hadn't done any of the things that, you know, you read about that other bendy ears have experienced. No, it's like I crossed the entire moat this first time of all human experience and went into a silent, everlasting knowing in which everything was known. Everything. It was as far, I mean, there's no other way to say what this is in words other than to call it God. But it was, and while I was in this place, not even remembering anything about my personality or what had just happened, but just being pure awareness, they had eventually got him off of me, and my diaphragm shot down, and suddenly air rushed back into my body. And when it did, it pulled me from that beautiful perfection, pulled me from that everywhere, back into my body again. And suddenly, I was awake. And I didn't know who I was for a while. And I sat there just looking at what was going on. And the farmer's body was on the floor. And and people were scurrying around, doing what they were doing. The doctors didn't even know what had happened. But I did, because I was forever changed. And from that time, my consciousness began to shift. And I was suddenly aware of being aware, which was something I wasn't as a 14-year-old child. I didn't know. I didn't understand that. But suddenly it was as though my mind filled the room, and I was able to, to watch myself and watch all the other people as they went about their business from a place that was inclusive of my body. In other words, instead of me being in my body, what felt like was now my body was in me. I had become a field of awareness. And my body was in that field. And all these other bodies in the room were a part. Their fields were a part of my field. We were all interconnecting with each other. But then as time moved forward, the it was almost as though my personality had become like a record and it fell back down on the spindle and started playing in my head. I could hear my personality coming back into myself. And because I was still in the hospital, I was inundated with all the experiences of the hospital. And so pretty soon it became harder and harder to keep my attention on this larger field and not fixate or focus again on my personality. And so there, a struggle ensued between where, and I, and I began to realize that in this process, I was learning something. I was learning that the only thing I had control of was my attention. And I didn't do so well at that because it kept being pulled toward the strangeness of my personality, the symptoms of my illness, and the stuff that was going on in the hospital, which was scary as hell. And so I kept working with it until... One day, a couple of years later, I was again 
given a treatment of my own, but this was a different one. Instead of a regular electroshock, they were trying an experiment, and they came in with a, a huge thing of gas, a huge tube of gas, and they put this thing over my mouth, and it was called a gas inhalation treatment, and it was supposed to create the same kinds of convulsive fits that electro does, but it turned out that they hadn't tested the gas on me, and I was allergic to it, and my heart stopped. So all of a sudden, I'm expecting, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm all of a sudden looking down, and I'm watching these guys, the, the doctors and the, and, and the orderlies, running this body on a gurney toward the emergency room. And I'm just watching in fascination. I have no idea what this is, what this is about. I'm just watching. And all of a sudden, they get to the emergency room, and they pull back the covers, and I look, and I say, oh, my God, it's me. And then they began to, you know, and they're doing their resuscitation, and they're doing all that. And I could understand the thinking. I heard the thoughts of everyone in the room. But this time, I didn't go to the same place I went the first time. This time, I started to rise out of the room, and I was surrounded by what felt like a mist or a fog. And suddenly I was moving through it very quickly, as though I were flying. And I went to this place where suddenly I, I kind of landed and, 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 and re-manifested a body. I was back, I was about 17 now, and I, and I was in a 17-year-old body, but it glowed. And it was beautiful, and I felt fine. I felt like all of the illness and everything was gone. But this time I retained my sense of self. I retained my sense of personality. And all of a sudden, it was like the top of my head came off. A deja vu came all over me. And suddenly I started experiencing dying, leaving a body again and again and again. It was like countless times. And I started to ground it in me. I started to feel normal and natural in it. The way a spirit comes into a body, goes out of a body, and it's almost like these doorways open up and it, and it runs right out of you and you can feel it. And it's, it was gorgeous. It was wonderful. And it wasn't any particular death. In other words, I wasn't associating it with any particular death. It was just dying itself. And then that expanded. And all of a sudden, it was like I was in a surround movie in which I was seeing people at different times, in other words, uh, of history on the earth. And, they, and I was all over the earth with these beings. And suddenly, I was looking out their eyes and experiencing something about life through them. Now, they weren't my personality and... You, I couldn't say, oh, that was me. No, it was like they had their own unique personality, their own unique being, but I was inside of them. And I began to realize that all of our experience was being funneled toward an even larger spirit. And that's when I made the distinction between what is an individual soul, which is what I think each of us contain, uh, in our being, you know, that gives us our personality, our sense of identity, and, and, you know, our individual drama in this world. But we are connected, I saw, to a much larger spirit. 
and the, and, and the world that I was in, the dimension I was in, uh, these spirits were all over the place like snowflakes dotting the sky. And each one of these spirits were giving birth to a family of souls. It was as though these souls were coming from these spirits. They were landing on the earth at different times because from our perspective here on the planet, we live in a linear world where there is, you know, past, present, and future. But from the perspective of these spirits off the planet in the dimension that we call death, the deathly world, there was no time. It was timeless. And so all of this was happening at once. So I realized that all these people that I was in and looking through their eyes, they weren't exactly my past lives because they weren't past. They were all happening at the same time. And I was one of them. I was one of these spirits along with them. I was one of these souls along with these other souls who had emanated from this larger spirit. We were a family. So these were other lives, and their memories were being funneled into this larger spirit to which I was a part. And so essentially, their memories were my memories. So not only was my soul having incarnations, but I was a part of this whole family of souls that were having incarnations, and that we were all connected with each other, and even in terms of past, present, and future, I recognize that like a grid surrounding the planet, their ideas, their perspectives, their fears and concerns, their thoughts, their beliefs, we were all sharing them to one degree or another relative to our evolution. In other words, I recognize that in my time, what, 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 you and I right now on the phone would call our time right here. You and me on the phone right now. In our time, I'm still connected, and I think we all are, to our own family of spirits who are reaching to us from the past, asking for help, and other parts of ourselves who are more evolved, who are reaching back to us from a future and offering us help. And that help comes in the form of inspiration or thoughts so that as we work, work our journey, as we, as we work through our journey to bring balance to all of the, you know, perspectives that this family of souls has held, we kind of, we kind of like seek to, to, well, you know how a radioactive, a radioactive, um, particle gives off, you know, electrons because it's trying to become inert. It's trying to, it's trying to find balance. Yes. Well, I think that we're all doing that all the time. So there's this wonderful dynamic in that bodies, bodies have been, you know, very linearly being manufactured on the earth, one body after the next, and their evolution is encoded in their genes. So our body's genes set up for themselves an itinerary, an agenda. Then all of a sudden, this soul, me, a soul, comes along and is, it is, comes down to take on this body. I come down as a soul to take on that agenda, to bring balance, to bring love, to bring harmony, to bring resolution to conflicts that are, that are encoded in that agenda. 
And, and at the same time, my own soul, my disembodied awareness, has traveled around the universe in its own fashion, has other incarnations in this world, and so carries its own memories. So, Lawrence, now, how, how large a family would you say is embodied in the large, these larger spirits that you say are as numerous as snowflakes? Is it, is it a, um, a blood relationship type family or is it all of, uh, all of the Earth's one family as opposed to other planets? It's a blending of so many things, a blending, because you see the bodies that's being produced on Earth, you could say have a blood relationship because you could trace a bloodline, which they do, right, genetically. But from the spirit's point of view, there is no bloodline. You, from a from a soul's point of view, that as as emanating from like a light ray from one of these larger spirits, you're not identified with anything on the earth. It's like you're not a particular religion. You're not a particular anything. You're a soul, and a soul is sovereign. And as far as I'm concerned, a part of the great spirit, the great spirit we call God. And so, so these larger these many, larger spirits uh, are all interconnected in in terms of an even larger spirit, which is uh, the Almighty. Exactly. It's kind of like if you in science you can find there's a science called the science of fractals, in which you you get um, it's kind of like oh gosh how can I put it it's like if you look at a mangrove swamp the the if you take one mangrove tree out of the swamp and look at it, you then look back at the rest of the mangroves growing in the swamp. You'll see that this tree that you're that you're looking at is a replica of every other tree growing in the swamp. In other words, it's a part of something larger than itself, but it also exists as an independent thing. Do you, do you mm-hmm. follow what I'm saying? Yes. And so, in the interconnection of all things, I mean, Lee. It absolutely blew me into pieces because I could really feel the oneness of it all. And yet we short shrift God so much. We, we, we think God has so little imagination, but God has so much imagination. There are so many kinds of creatures, so many kinds of beings, so many possibilities that are existing. And they're all moving around, evolving, changing, growing and fulfilling certain purposes that begin to blossom just because uh, they are aware, they are sentient, they are awake. And Lawrence. So on the Earth, we have huge oceans of ideas that run through thousands upon thousands of people in order for those people to give these ideas embodiment and the chance to work them out, to, to try them out, to see what they're like. Because the earth is the place where the action is. It's kind of like if you have a lover on the earth and you kiss them, it's all smushy and wonderful and you can feel it and it's incredible. Whereas in spirit, you kind of just kind of pass through each other. You know, it's not the same. <laughs> hey, Lawrence, we are... Yeah. Incredibly, we are already out of time, and we have not oh. begun to scratch the surface here. So I'm hoping you can be on next week, uh, and we can continue this conversation. Is that a possibility? Yeah, yeah, I would love it. What is, uh, let's see, I'm looking at that, the book here. Okay. Uh, 
in advance. So the next week is like the twentieth. We will work. We'll okay. work on it after after the show. Okay. And, okay. okay. We'll work on it. But let me let me so close much. out by All asking right. you to uh, give your um, your website so people can find this your book. Well, they can contact me at Lawrence at a slightly mad mystic dot com, and the book is available on Amazon. And if you ask your local bookstore, they can get it because it's also being distributed by Ingram Spark, which is what supplies a lot of the bookstores. Terrific. Uh, let me tell my audience that if they'd like to listen to this uh, show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IANS, check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more from Lawrence and myself on NDE Radio, this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.